Thanks, Lefebvre. Wonderful to see you good people. I hope you are well and uh, doing well and trusting God for what he has for us in this kind of, are we going to shut down? Are we going to lock down? I don't know. I'm hoping we're not. I'm praying South Africa seems to buck the trend in so many different ways. Let's keep bucking it. That's my thing. And uh, let's keep going. But uh, I had a, we, I've been meeting with some, some men and I had a moment two weekends, two, two Fridays ago, and uh, we've been reading a book together, A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. It's an old kind of written in the 1940s, and it's quite amazing how he writes that book, and it could be for today. It's like some things that, some truths just transcend time, and there's other truths that are for contextual reasons. But this is the, he, the way he writes. It's kind of, it's just incredible. And I actually read the book uh, when I was on holiday in, just in January, and uh, it so stirred me. I thought, hey, let me, we've got to actually get people reading this and kind of just use it as a conversation starter and get people stirred up. So um, anyway, the, one of the chapters in that book is called The Gaze of Your Soul, The Gaze of the Soul. And actually the chapter is about faith. And uh, it, was, it was such a profound time because uh, kind of as, the, as you... If you put Christians into a room, believers into a room that have got the Spirit of God inside of them, that's what believers, that's the definition of a believer, is they have the Spirit of God in them, and the Spirit of God is around them and with them because where two are gathered together, He is. It's incredible what happens if you intentionally go after God. Because actually, I, I want to say this in the best way possible, the magic is actually in everybody. And as they begin to share and begin to bring into and begin to actually just God starts to move powerfully. But I say that just to encourage you, don't. You, you, you get a couple of people together and start talking about Jesus and you see what happens in the room as God starts to speak and, and reveal and remind you of scripture and all those sorts of things. Anyway, it was just this incredible moment where I actually felt like, I actually felt like my life was changed in forever from that moment. And... Uh, and so I thought, actually, what I want to do, and it was profound for everybody in the room, it wasn't just me, it was just this very weighty moment in God where you kind of realized, as I'm making this complicated and, I'm, and, I'm, and this walk with God is actually make, becoming complicated and, I'm, and actually it's this, it's this simple. And um, so what I want to do this morning is I want, to, I want to take us back to that chapter and I'm going to tell you where the gaze of the soul comes from and how it kind of connects in scripture to faith. And then just start to look at some of the scriptures in the text around that kind of speak about a very similar thing and then begin to say, well, what does that mean for us? Because, uh, and much of what I'm going to say this morning you will have heard before. The question is not, have you heard it before? The question is, are you living it? And what we often do is when we've heard stuff before, you kind of, ah, I've heard this before and dialed down. The question is, how is that real for you? How is that real for, is it, is it, is it so real that we're living it? And we've got to make sure that we are not just know about Jesus, but we actually have an experiential walk with Jesus, that we live it. And that is my, the cry of my heart for myself, my family, and all of you, that we'll be a generation of people, a group of people that live a walk with Jesus, not just talk about a walk with Jesus. And um, so anyway, this is how that text starts. It's from Numbers chapter 
It's Numbers. Uh, the book, the story is the story of the, bl- the bronze snake. I don't know if you guys, if you, if you know your, if you've kind of been around for a while, you'd kind of recognize that. But the whole, the whole chapter is, is faith. And the, diff- the thing is this, is that when the Bible speaks of faith, Numbers chapter, four, uh, Numbers chapter 21, sorry, if you want to turn and read with me, uh, verse 4. And um, the, the, what the Bible talks about faith, often when it talks about faith, it doesn't give you, a, this is what faith is, a definition. It gives you what faith is in terms of result or in terms of fruit that comes from somebody that has faith. So the, the faith, famous faith chapter in Hebrews 11 is, by faith Noah built an ark. And by faith, Moses left, and Moses' parents protected him. And by faith, this guy was sawn in two. And by faith, God spared this person. And by faith, these guys were, never actually got to live with what they, what they um, were promised, but they kept on looking forward to the promise. It's very important that they kept on looking to what God had for them. And even the, the, probably the closest that you get to that is faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. But even that is just describing what, faith, what happens when you've got faith. You become sure. There's a certainty. Even though you can't see it, there's a certainty that starts to well up. And even though the, the, the hope that Christ puts into your heart becomes a surety, you become sure of it. That's what faith, what, that's what result that's the result of faith and aw tozer says but so what is faith then what what what, what's the definition of faith what is faith and this is what he comes up with um really really key anyway numbers chapter 21 verse 4 to 9 they traveled from mount hor along the route to the red sea to go around edom but the people grew impatient on the way they spoke about against god and against moses and said, isn't it incredible, sorry, isn't it incredible that people became impatient and they started to speak against God and against the leaders? Amazing thing, eh? Friends, we've got to watch patience, faith and patience. Faith, faith and patience always go together. And when we don't get our own way, we become impatient with people. I'm very guilty of it with my children and my wife at times. Heather's saying all the time, sometimes. And um, we've got to be patient. Faith and patience inherit the promises of God. They became impatient. So actually what happened is they lost faith. And they start blaming Moses and they start blaming God. We stop, we've got to stop blaming people, friends. We've got to stop blaming things. I don't know why I'm saying this now. We've got to put our, put our eyes back onto Jesus which is what I'm talking about today. Anyway, where are we? Oh, we have, you have brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert. There's no bread, there's no water, exclamation mark. It's not like there's no bread. There's no bread and there's no water. You brought us here to die, you idiot. What are you doing? They're cross, they're upset, they're impatient. And we detest this miserable food. Manna. Miraculous manna. We detest it. What is this? I'd rather have died in, in captivity than come and die in the desert, is their logic. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. 
Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Amazing thing. They asked God to take the snakes away. Please, there. You see, again, we're not letting God fashion the moment and fashion the journey, even if it means it's a desert. We grow impatient with leaders. We grow impatient with God. We're not satisfied with his provision. And even the solution, we think we're going to determine it. God, please, will you take the snakes away? Moses prayed. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on top of a pole. Then anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Amazing thing, God doesn't take the snakes away. He He gives them a vaccine so that they don't die from their bites. Incredible, eh? You see, friends... It's always on God's terms, not on ours. And as soon as we think we can put it on our terms, we start to lose the plot. And we we stop walking with Jesus and following him, and we want God to follow us. And uh, there's a beautiful picture there of when when you get bitten by a snake, just look look at the bronze snake that's lifted up, and you won't die. Okay, so look at the snake. What happens in John chapter 3 verse 14 is Jesus speaks about this very text, referring to himself. And he says this, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So in the the Old Testament story, if you look at the snake, you, you get the vaccination. You, you, that's, that's, if you look at the snake, it's good. You get saved. When Jesus tells the story, he doesn't say look. He says believe. And so what A.W. Tozer says, he says actually faith is the gaze of the soul on the risen Jesus. That's what faith is. So he puts look and believing together. He says actually they're talking about the same thing. So to believe, to have faith, means to gaze upon Jesus. It's to gaze upon the triune God. It's to gaze upon a saving God. It's to keep your gaze fixed on Him. And you know what our challenge is, friends, is everything in life comes against and comes to distract us from the gaze that we're meant to have on Jesus. All the time. I remember moving into our house for the when we bought our house 12 years ago and we were used to living in a flat and the, elect- the electricity bill or the water bill, electricity bill was like 600 rand a month. That was the total water and thing together. Moved into our house and I saw 2,000 and something. I think I nearly had a heart attack right there. I thought, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And in that moment, I'll never forget it. Because I completely took my gaze off of Jesus, the provider, and put my gaze onto Etiquini's bull. And guess what? I started worshipping. You know, you worship what you look at. So I started worshipping the bull. You know what happens when you worship a bull? You get angry. You get fearful. You get cross. You go through all the emotions that you're not meant to have. 
Every, you've got everything except peace, joy, and hope. That's what happens. And our challenge always is to... So when we say we're walking this walk of faith, you see, somebody that's got their faith, their, their gaze fixed on Jesus, builds ox. Is able to do all this, the magnificent stories of Hebrews 11. But it all comes because their gaze was fixed on him. And as soon as you're losing peace, joy, and hope, friends, somewhere along the line, your gaze has shifted. It's like a guarantee. You're no longer in faith, you're in fear. You're in anxiety in some form. You're in depression. You're getting disappointed. And you've heard this, so, heard this before. Again, I say, but are we living it? Are we living it? Hebrews chapter 2, 12 verse 2 says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter, the author and perfecter of our faith. I don't think I've ever seen a rainbow in its, normally you see rainbows like, and this happened like two or three days in a row now, you see a rainbow, kind of half a rainbow. I've never seen a rainbow like beginning, see where it lands, and then to the other end. Um, I went for a run yesterday on the way back. Literally there was a rainbow starting in, in Morningside somewhere and landing in the city. Like you saw the whole thing. And then there was another one in front of it. That wasn't a full one. That was just a half a one. And I thought, isn't it incredible? Because Jesus is the beginning and the end. And there's promise there. So the promises of God are contained by Jesus who's the Alpha and the Omega. That's why we've got to fix our eyes on him. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him. As soon as we start to look at the promises and, fix and start to move our gaze away from Jesus, we start to go off and start to go wrong. Jesus, we fix our eyes on Jesus, Jesus, the author and the perfecter. We see the ends. He's the end. He, he, he's got the full thing, the full ambit in his hand. John chapter 5 verse 19 says this. Jesus says this. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Have you thought of that? You see, Jesus lived the same walk of faith as what we do. We kind of have Jesus in our mind as God more than we have in our mind as man. If Jesus was God, he could not be our model. If Jesus was not man, we could, he could not have gone and set us free. He had to be fully man so that he would be representative of man to set us free. Jesus was a man. So Jesus lived the life of faith where his gaze was on his father. And he only did what he saw his father doing. It's almost like you've got to have an ability to hear through your eyes. So you... you and Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. Just before he says that, he, he's at the pool of Bethesda, and there's a whole bunch of sick people at the pool, and they, they, they believe that when the, when the water stirred, the angels stirred it, if they got into the water, they'd be healed. And there was a guy there sitting there for 38 years that couldn't get in. And Jesus, it's incredible. I mean, if I was Jesus, I would have just said, Lord, let there be healing over this whole place. Boop, everybody healed. But he only did what he saw his father doing. Saying, Lord, what about those other people? Anyway, he goes through and he picks this one guy. He says, what do you want? He says, I want to be healed. And he heals him. 
He only did what he saw his father doing. He had trained himself and taught himself that I've got to fix my gaze on the, my father to do the will of my father and to get through doing the will of my father. I think of the three young boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that are told that they have to bow down and worship the golden idol of Nebuchadnezzar. And if they don't, and whoever doesn't in that moment, when the music plays, they don't stop what they're doing, begin to worship the gods of Nebuchadnezzar and worship the statue of Nebuchadnezzar because he was seen as a god. Unless you did that, you're going into the flames. They don't do that. And so they have to face the flames. And this is what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, we, don't, we, don't, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace like God, if, sorry, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from you, your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They, they were prepared to face the flames then take their gaze away from the king. Yahweh the king. And so they go to the flames. God does deliver them and I, I love their thing. God, I don't care what happens. I want my gaze to be on you. I want my gaze to be on you. The results are in your hands, God. But my result, my, my resolve is to put my gaze on you. And so God goes, they get thrown into the, the flames that are seven times hotter and all of a sudden they see a fourth person in the fire and actually God rescues them, not even a hint of smoke on them. And again, there's this great worship. Actually, God, you, have, you worship the true God. And Daniel does the same thing. He will not bow down. He will not bow down. He will worship his God. He gets thrown into the lion's den. God shuts up the lion's mouths. Again, at the, at the threat of, of death, these people would not move their gaze away from their king. You see, gaze and worship has got so much to do with each other. When we worship, we kind of restore that gaze. When we, when we worship, we, we, we strengthen that gaze. And actually, especially when we come together and worship, there's such a sense of the gaze is on you, Lord God. And they would not worship any other except their God. You see Peter in the boat. And Jesus is walking on the water, coming to them. They're scared. Peter, they say to him, Jesus, that's you. Call me out of the boat. Jesus says, come, Peter. Peter gets out the boat, starts walking on water. And it says in Matthew chapter 14, verse 30, but when he saw the wind... He was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You have little faith, he says. Why did you doubt? You see, what happened with Peter, instead of gazing at Jesus, he started to gaze and look at the wind, at the storm. And as soon as you move away from Jesus to the storm, doubt and faithlessness enters your heart and you begin to sink. 
Fortunately, we've got a God that's big enough, good enough, gracious enough that as soon as he does that, he's not, he just picks you up and holds back again and says, look at me again. And Jesus takes him and puts him back in the boat. Friends, what God is wanting to us to do at this time, in this moment of faith, this deepening of our relationship with God, this new normal, this recalibration, this reset, whatever it is, to fix our eyes back on Jesus and to never let them move. And because we're human beings, it's never 100% perfect. But man, we've got to quickly realize, man, we're looking at the wrong thing and get back to Jesus. We're looking at the wrong thing, get back to Jesus. And we need friends to say to us, you're looking at the wrong thing, get back to Jesus. You see, that's faith, friends. With the great exploits and the things that God wants us to do and to accomplish in the city and as a church, friends, we've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We've got to keep our gaze towards him. And we've got to learn in, in every part of life to keep our heart gaze towards him. In, in living everyday life, in parenting, in working, and having fun, it's, it keeps on, it keeps our, our, our gaze towards him. You know, friends, the reason why we end up in sin is because we've taken our gaze away from Jesus and we put our faith into something else. We started worshiping something else. We think something else is better than Jesus. And we end up in fear. We end up in destruction. We've got to get back. Had an amazing moment of praying for a man this morning who's coming back to God on the floor weeping here as his gaze comes back to the Father. And friends, what's amazing is that the gaze that Jesus gives you back are eyes of love and inviting and, and comfort and when your eyes and his eyes meet, heaven comes to earth. Right there, right there, there's the potential for, for the power of God to move as he so enjoys the, the, the gaze of our, of our souls towards him. But you know what? You could get distracted by the storm. And I thought, actually, you know what? It's not just that he was distracted in the story by the storm, but actually you could get distracted by the water. You're walking on water, the next thing you look down, you think, oh my gosh, what am I doing? This is impossible. Guess what? You can put your eyes off of Jesus and put them onto the very thing that he's called you to do, and you'll start to stink. God wants us to walk on water in business. God wants us to walk on water in our God wants us to walk in water in many different ways, do impossible things. But the only way you do that, friends, is to keep your gaze, your faith towards him and allow him to provide your steps and your certainty. What about other distractions that, that Peter could have had? He could have had a distraction from his friends in the boat. Hey, Peter, what are you doing, bro? Who are you so special? Who do you think you are? You see, friends, the voices of people around us can distract us. The storm can distract us. The very thing we call to do can distract us. And the voices around us can distract us. But God, Jesus says to him, you have little faith. Why are you looking at everything else and not me? And he picks him up. Friends, where are you looking? Where are we looking? Where is the gaze of our souls? Where is the gaze of our souls? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, without faith it's impossible to please God. You know why I think God 
without faith, without the gaze of the soul towards the resurrected Jesus, it's impossible to please God because God loves our gaze. God is pleased when we are gazing at him. He loves that. If you want to please God, put your gaze towards him. It says, it says it's impossible. We've got to gaze at him. We've got to, we've got to take this. this. This message is not taught, it's caught. My prayer for us, friends, is that we'll catch something this morning. I feel like God is wanting to do something profound in our hearts, friends. And we're looking at all the wrong places to find it. And it's so simple. Just look. It's so simple. Just look. Anytime, any place, any continent, any situation, any storm, any, anywhere, anywhere, all you've got to do is come back to him and free focus and put your gaze back on him. It's so profound, friends. It's so easy, but it's not that easy, difficult. It's, it's, it's so easy, it's so simple, but it's not that easy, is what I'm trying to say. You see, friends, it's not a glance that Jesus wants. We've got to teach ourselves, we've got to learn, we've got to train ourselves to have a continuous gaze back at him. If we believe that he did what he did, if we believe he's as good as he is, if, he, if we believe he's as powerful and authoritative as he is, friends, where else do we put our, want to put our gaze? Man, in Hebrews chapter, it's impossible to please God without faith because you must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So in that, in that faith story, in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, what's our job? Our job is to earnestly seek him. His job is is to be the rewarder. His job is to do the rewarding. But where are our eyes got to be? Our eyes are got to be earnestly seeking him. Ours, the gaze of our souls got to be there. You know what we do, friends? With the promises of God, with the plans of God, we put our eyes on the reward and we stop seeking him. And as soon as you put your eyes on what he's meant to be doing, we get disappointed because he's not doing it at the right time. We get disappointed because he's not doing it in the right way. He's, we get disappointed because actually, what are you doing, God? I've done all this for you. Actually, where are your eyes? One of the guys in the meeting said, it's so difficult because you, you have this incredible relationship with God, but I've got friends and family that I'm trusting and believing and they're not coming to Jesus. And it's such a wrestle and it's so, it gets so disappointing. How do you, how do, you do that? Because we're talking about faith. And everybody in the room re realized, you, must, you know what you've done now? You've put your eyes on the reward and taken your eyes off of Jesus. Let Jesus be the rewarder. Let God be the rewarder. We do be the seeker. We keep our gaze on him. Friends, this is so simple. And I've got to keep reminding myself, Stan, when you get angry, when you get impatient, when you have all these things, it's because you've moved your eyes away from Jesus. God wants to put our gaze back on him. With the, with the call of God over this church, friends, we need men and women that are resolutely got their gaze on Jesus. 
unwavering gaze upon Jesus. We don't get there overnight, but we've got to be training to get there. We've got to be learning to get there. We've got to be asking God for how do we stay there. And it's not just a little glance. It's not just a look. It's a gaze. It's like, I love that word. It's not just a look. It's not just a glance like that. It's we've got to learn to gaze. Man, you know what it's like to gaze at a beautiful woman. When you first met your wife, gazing. Can't take your eyes off. Got to learn to gaze. Sit in, a, sit in the berg and you look at the mountains and the sun going down. You just want to actually, just want to gaze. Takes your breath away. Got to learn to gaze at the resurrected Jesus. It's incredible about faith. Faith always looks out. It never looks in. Friends, this is not the time to be looking inward and trying to find strength in you and trying to find something in you. This is a moment to gaze at him, look out there, get to him and allow him to put strength in you. He is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. If, what you're, if the reward that you need is strength, look at him. Friends, I'm not just talking theory here. I'm talking about how do we live this? How do we get this to the place? The challenges that we have. I get overwhelmed with challenges when I take my eyes off of Jesus. And this week I've had to, I've had to come back away from there. Friends, let me tell you right now how real this is. At 8.30 this morning, I think there was about three people in the building. By 8.30, 8.40, all the chairs were full. I had to stand there, Jesus, have we still got a church? What's happening? And I suddenly realized, oh God, Jesus, God says to me, why are you looking at the people and looking, not looking at me? Friends, this is like every moment. Like you just, you just stumble into it. Lord, sorry, I'm, let's get back to you. Let's get back to what you've said. Let's get back to your promises. It looks out. We've got to look out to him and let him put in what he wants to put in. Friends, we cannot get consumed with the reward. We cannot live an outcomes-based Christianity. And we get disappointed with God because the outcome is not what we think it should be. This is a moment to put our gaze on Jesus and say, Jesus, everything is in your hand. Especially my heart and my future and my family. Please, I want to keep my gaze on you. I want to find my contentment in you. I want to find my strength in you. I want to, I want to Paul, Paul says he's learned the art of living content in all circumstances. I think it was because his gaze was consumed with Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens here. I find it here. There's something in here that happens to me. The hope, the joy, the life that comes to me in him. We cannot be outcomes-based. We obsess with the promises of God and we get disappointed with God because they're not getting fulfilled. We get disappointed. One of the guys was saying, oh, he's got, he had a friend who's in ministry in Cape Town and he was getting so disappointed because his ministry wasn't going anywhere and all his mates' ministries were flying. 
You see, when you take your gaze off of Jesus, the things that are meant to encourage you, somebody else's ministry flying, that God can do it there, he can do it with me. Just keep your gaze. What happens is the very things that should encourage you actually disappoint you. You've taken your gaze off of Jesus. He's not enough anymore. He's not, he is not enough for, for me anymore. And I'm saying, God, please, I want you to be enough. I want you to, no matter what we walk through, and the problem is I know as I say these words, they're going to be tested. I'll tell you next week how it goes. Friends, this is, I, I can't get this, uh, this is not games. I'm talking about there's a life in Christ that we can live as we walk with him by putting our faith in him. Not just when we need to, not just when we're in trouble, but all the time. It's a profound, profound truth, this. And I'd love us to, to end with some worship, if the band wouldn't mind coming up. Because I really do believe this next season, and we've said it all the time, but worship is such a key. We're doing a series in worship, not next, starting not next week, the week after. It's amazing how these things are lining up. Because it's such a key part of our resolve. It helps us. It restores us. Just like breaking a bread puts us back into union, puts our gaze back onto him. Friends, can I just say, break bread in your homes with your family. Please, break bread in your homes. It's, it puts something, we sat as an eldership team, we, we did some praying a, a couple of weeks ago, and we sat with some bread and wine in the Macmillan's home. And we literally just sat there with, with, the, with these elements, and we just prayed for an hour, different people. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you that this means this. Thank you that this means healing. Thank you that this means all sorts of things. Just prayer after prayer. It's like we could have gone on for another hour just looking at the body and the blood of Jesus. Break bread. It brings us back together with him. It restores our gaze. It resets our gaze. Just like worship does. Just like silence and solitude does. And just like the word of God does. And just that's what community does. The people around us. It restores us. Come to us and say you're missing your eyes of wandering. You're wandering away from Jesus and onto the wrong things, friends. When you want to make decisions, friends, want to make good decisions, we've got to have a gaze of the soul towards him. Those things become natural fruits of. I think we, we live in a performance and a geeing it up and trying to find faith. And it's incredible that if, if faith, as A.W. Tozer says, faith is the gaze of the soul on Jesus. It's like, we always wonder, have I got enough faith? Have you ever thought that? Well, obviously, I didn't have enough faith. See, if, the, if faith is the gaze of the soul, you never ask the question, have I got enough? The question is, where are you looking? Much more simple. Live with the gaze. Live with that in mind and allow God to do, let, allow God to be God. Let Him be the rewarder. Let him be the savior. Let him be the one that does what he needs to do instead of us trying to make anything happen. Can we stand, please?
Father, uh, I pray, Lord God, that every single one of us would walk out of this building having made our contact with you, Lord. Amen. Having made heart contact with you, Lord. That we would look full in your wonderful face and receive all the glory and grace that comes from looking at your face. Father, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to to do something supernatural in our minds and our hearts, Lord. Change us, shift us, Lord God. Get us, put this into us, Lord God, that we can be there, that we can be this group of people, Lord God, that can naturally, supernaturally, and supernaturally, naturally just walk with you, knowing that you do, that you save, Lord. For those that don't know you, Lord God, I pray this morning, Lord God, lift their heads to look into your eyes, Lord, and draw them to yourself, Lord God. We worship you this morning, Lord God. We fix our eyes on you. We fix our hearts on you. We we ask you, Lord God, to come and break through in our lives, Lord. Breakthrough in our ability, Lord God, just to keep looking after you, to keep going for you, to keep shifting towards you, Lord. I ask you that in your mighty name. Holy Spirit, will you do that? Holy Spirit, your job is to make much of Jesus and to bring us back to Jesus. Holy Spirit, will you do this this morning? Do something in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.